Hi guys, welcome to The Church Split. My name is Will, and you guys know what we do here. We help you escape your echo chamber and challenge the status quo. And sometimes we have to do that if we want to remain biblical, am I right? So thank you guys for being along. Don't forget to like and subscribe. You're part of the internet. You know how this works. If you haven't done that, what are you doing? Also, don't forget to check us out on YouTube. Our audio audience is probably five times the size of our YouTube audience. And uh, checking us out on YouTube definitely helps us as there's actually ad revenue there. So if you want to help us, just go ahead and check that out. Otherwise, uh, you can always support us on Patreon, and we do have people doing that, and we're so thankful because it's actually covering our some of our expensive now, expenses now. So anyway, thank you guys so much for being along for the ride with this. And today, we are talking about one of my pet peeve topics. Now, before we get into that, I just want to say sorry. We haven't got as much uh, content to you this week. Normally, I do uh, two videos, two, maybe even three videos every week, but... Uh, you know, I have, I'm preaching this Sunday at my church. I got 40 things going on, and I was only able to get the uh, thing out with Daniel Apologetics, but if you haven't, go check out that interview, and you will be encouraged there on how you can defend the faith and maybe possibly get a few leads on where you can go to study on how to defend your faith even better. This episode is going to be pretty closely related to our second episode we've ever done. Back when we filmed this in my living room, and we were uh, recording audio out of a tin can, okay? So go back and check that out, um, and you'll see how this directly relates to this episode, and it doesn't really matter which one you watch first, it's just these will correlate with each other as they touch similar topics, but there are certain things that I'll cover in an episode, and then certain objections are brought up later, and then I'm like, oh, I didn't include that in the episode, so then I'm going to come back and do this again. So I might even do some reviews on, uh, you know, recovering uh, from, like, with alcohol videos, things along that nature, just kind of refleshing out some things I didn't get a chance to flesh out in other episodes. So stick along for the ride, guys. This is going to be fun. But, you know, um, before we start, because here is soon in the church split, we're going to take a steep dive into some theological topics, um, and I think that's going to be helpful for you. And so I wanted, but first, like, you know, I have a few things I want to talk about before we jump into the theological deep end, and by then I'll probably end up losing half of the people who follow us because I'm probably going to irritate some people with some theology. But hey, what did you come to the church split for except to have your church split? Am I right? Hey, okay. Um, anyway, so today we're talking about my pet topic, one of my biggest pet peeves, uh, really, seriously, this drives me crazy, is this idea of should and should not. Oftentimes, Christian will Christians will recognize that we have liberty in Christ, right? Like Jesus Christ died on the cross, we're no longer slaves to sin, but now we are bound to him. You know, we are we have liberty in Jesus Christ and we are so excited about that. And you know, we know that he, his gospel has saved us and all these different things. But then these things come where we know we have we have liberty, but we prefer you not use it. So what happens is people go, um, well, it's not a sin. But even though it's not a sin, a Christian shouldn't do it. And this here drives me crazy because it is a blatant contradiction, and so many people don't seem to realize that they are completely contradicting themselves when they say this. So let's examine this should or should not controversy, okay? So it, this uh, is oftentimes, so should, the word should is used to indicate obligation, duty, or correctness, typically when criticizing someone else's actions. So it says it's an obligation, right? So an obligation is an ought, a moral duty, by the way, to say something is a moral duty, like it's a moral duty to protect the poor and the lowly. A moral duty is an ought to do. So to do that which is good is to do that which is morally good. To do that which is morally good is something you ought to do, and it's something you should 
do. So when you say that it's not a sin, but you should not do it, you are saying that it is this, uh, <laughs> it's not a sin, so it's not a morally ought not to do, but you still ought not to do it. It's not a should not, but you should not do it. So in other words, you're saying, well, it's not that you should not do it, but you should not do it. You see the problem here? It's a blatant, blatant contradiction. Well, it's not that you ought not do it. It's not a sin, but you ought not do it. it they just, these things contradict each other so hard, and Christians do this all the time. And you want to talk about how legalism and things like that set in your church and traditions of man? It's this right here. It's this conventional wisdom of man. It's this conventional wisdom of man where we go, oh, God didn't say it, so it's not a sin, but you shouldn't do it anyway. And so we insert like the sin against God, but then almost like you're sinning against, I don't know, society or people's opinions, as if you could sin against someone's opinion. No, the only person's opinion you could sin against is God's, but anyway. So Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Um, now, keep in mind, this, this text comes into my mind whenever this comes up. And I'm going to explain to you why, even though I know the context of this, okay? If you exegete this, this is directly talking about oaths in Scripture, okay? So it's talking about taking an oath. I am aware of that. Now you're aware of that. But I'm going to show you exactly how this applies to this. And I believe, I don't think I'm being dishonest here with the text. And you tell me what you think. I don't know, but this is always what pops into my brain. Matthew 5, 33-37 says this. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, or for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And notice what he says, you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all. So he's saying, hey, if you're going to do this something, don't swear falsely by something. Don't swear on somebody's name or swear by a city or swear by whatever. Just say yes or no. That's simple. Say yes or no. So he is obviously talking about oaths here, you know, taking an oath, swearing by something, and merely saying yes or no to it. But when we become Christians, hear me out here, we're choosing to follow God as well. And thus, we ought to respond to him with yes or no. We don't need to swear to God or anything else, right? We just simply need to choose God. We need to swear to him. Yes or no. That's the choice that mankind's always been given. Follow God. Yes or no. So I'm using this basic example here. And obviously I'm not giving an exegetical complete thing of, of what about taking oaths and all that. That's not the point of what I'm getting at. I'm just pointing out that it seems important to God that we speak with clarity and honesty, that we speak with yes and no's as often as possible. So here's the thing, saying it's not a sin while also saying one shouldn't is literally saying yes and no to the same question. You are not letting your yes mean yes and your no mean no, you're letting your yes mean no. It's a contradiction. So you're saying, uh, you know, oh, yes, it's not a sin, but no, you shouldn't do it. So your yes is not meaning yes. You're not giving a yes or a no. So that's why I think that I'm not like 
eisegeting here because it seems to me that God, to God, is very important that you are just very clear and precise in your speech. You know, hey, God, I'm going to follow you. That's my yes. And God goes, great. And now you look at sin and how it works with God. He goes, this, these are morally good actions, and these are okay actions over here. These are my yeses. Here's all the evil and unrighteous actions. These are my no's. So if it's in the yes category, if it's not a sin, then it's in the yes category. You can't say it there and say it's in the yes category, but still in the no. It doesn't work. So no, anyway, let the yes mean yes and the no mean no. Okay? When God says it's a sin, it's a sin. When God says it's not a sin, it's not a sin. That's, that's the point. And here's the point as well. So God is not the author of confusion, is he? No, he is not. God is the God of order and structure. He spoke order into Chaos. That's, that was literally the creation account. So God is not the author of confusion, as we know. In 1 Corinthians 14, that's what he says. And of course, if you look at this in context, he's talking about tongues, speaking in tongues and different languages, and make sure there's an interpreter and all that, so worship can be done in order. And then he goes, uh, he says this statement at the very end, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. In other words, so I guess, well, okay, so yeah, we're talking about tongues here, but this is, uh, this is an emphatic descriptive statement of God. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. That is a description of God. So if you're saying that it's not a sin, but you still shouldn't do it, you are confusing things and you're not bringing it at peace. You're actually bringing it into conflict and tension, causing more problems than you're solving. How confusing is it to say something's totally not a sin, but you shouldn't do it? You ought not to, you know, you ought not to do it. It's not a sin, but you ought not to. It's to speak in circles and to be completely nonsensical. Many people, when they say should, they seem to mean some sort of conventional, conventional wisdom of man. Whenever it's like, well, it's not a sin, okay, God doesn't say it's wrong, but the conventional wisdom of man is that you shouldn't do it. As if mankind, we've ever been held accountable only to each other. Literally, the entire Bible is about us trying to bring creation back to Eden by following God's commands. So if I'm following God's commands, then I am following God's wisdom. And then, you know, to the, to the dirt with man's opinions. There we go. We'll put that in a polite way, Will. Yeah. All right. So, you know, the problem is that people control their lives with things like this. Well, what will people think? You know, that's why a Christian shouldn't do it, because what will people think? Well, no matter what you do, guys, someone's not going to like it. Someone doesn't like you go to church. Someone's not going to like that you listen to this podcast. Someone's not going to like that you married your spouse. Someone's not going to like your favorite movie. Someone's not going to like that your hobby might be, Lord only knows, with all the hobbies out there, right? Gaming, uh, there's uh, shooting guns, maybe sports, you know, maybe it's football or basketball, maybe it's working out. Somebody's not going to like what you do. That's just all there is to it. So what will people think? Well, the, the Christian answer is, who cares? <laughs> I don't care what people think. I care what God thinks. And then I'm going to follow through with God's commands. For example, I know that it is good to give to the poor, that I should give to the poor, that I ought to take care of the poor and the lowly and the widow. And I know that it is good for me, it is in God, that where God says yes, it's in God's yes category, to give the freeing gospel of Jesus Christ and how he died, 
buried, resurrected for our sins. That is a yes. That is a good. That is a moral should. That is a moral ought. That is a moral obligation. I know that. Then I also know the fact that God's know that I should not commit adultery, that I should not steal and be greedy, that I should not covet. I know these things. So again, it's not what people think. The other objection that people say, but what if someone takes what you're doing and goes too far with it? You know, someone sees you, you know, drinking and then, oh man, that person later on has a drink, they get drunk and then they become alcoholics because they saw you take a drink. The problem is, um, this is the same thing as blaming somebody for the gun, right? This blaming the gun instead of the person for pulling the trigger. You know, I, I have guns and I lo- love to shoot guns. Um, in fact, I got an FN 509 and it's awesome. It's, one, it's a really nice handgun. And I got that. And guess what? Someone could see me have that, use it responsibly, store it responsibly, shoot it responsibly, clean it and do all the right things. But if somebody sees me using a gun and then goes, I'm going to use a gun to go kill somebody, that is... Two totally different things, and you cannot be held morally responsible for someone else abusing something that was originally good or used responsibly. I mean, because where where do you stop logic with that? What about the person who speeds with his car and crashes into somebody and kills them? What about somebody who likes to do gymnastics and is really good at gymnastics and does all these cool stunts, and then somebody sees it and then, well, you know what? You can't do that anymore because somebody just tried to do a backflip, landed, and broke their neck. You know, so suddenly, if you start blaming people who can do things responsibly for people using it irresponsibly, you'll never get out of the circle of canceling everything in your life. Cancel culture will seep into your life because you have to cancel everything. I mean, there's somebody has, I'm sure, broken something or hurt somebody using just a dining table. I mean, literally anything has been broken and abused. So when, where do you draw the line? You know, what if somebody sees you reading a book and then they choose to use a book to bludgeon someone's head with a hard cover? Like what? You know, and it's the same idea. So if someone sees you drinking, well, what if they go and they abuse it? Well, again, okay, do we blame the object? Oh, someone sees me with a computer in my office. Does that mean that they get to go home and be like, well, I get to look up pornography because I saw him with a computer. I mean, after all, <laughs> if I didn't see him with a computer, I would never have done this in the first place. Get out of here with that. That's nonsensical. God holds us personally responsible for our own sins. We can't sit there and blame shift somebody else because you were irresponsible. It makes no sense, and there's no scripture to support that. And before you say the stumbling block principle, we're going to get there. And again, check out episode two for a full breakdown of that. But the other, another object, uh, obje- objection, if I could speak, that's great. Um, we Christians are supposed to not offend people. Well, here's the, here's the, here's the truth of it. Offense is in the eye of the beholder. Things that offend you will not offend me. Actually, very few things offend me. I've had, I've had far from a cushy life. I haven't had the luxury of being able to be easily offended. It's actually what kind of drives me nuts when I see a lot of people who have, you know, come from hard backgrounds that everything seems to offend them. And I'm like, guys, you got to learn to, we got to learn to toughen up at some point. Okay, we can't sit there and live in constant offense. So, and here's the thing: offending isn't in the Bible. And before you start quoting those little scriptures in the King James, where it's like, oh, you know, if, if your brother offends you, uh, the word offense, whenever it translated in the Bible, is the word for transgress or to sin against, not to offend in the way that we use the term. And that's why in a lot of scriptures it says transgress or sin, especially in modern translations. 
it can't be about offending people because offending is in the eye of the beholder. I literally can do anything. In fact, this channel offends many people and it blesses many people. I don't know. I, I have no control over that. You know, I just put out the content and hopefully it blesses somebody. And if somebody gets offended, that's on them. Go under my uh, Ravi Zacharias videos and you'll see plenty of people that got offended, even though it's true what I was discussing. So it's not the point of offense. That's not what that's talking about. So when you're using offense, remember the biblical meaning of the word offense, whenever it's used, is meaning to transgress or sin. Not, and again, that goes into God's no category, right? To transgress means to sin. It is not saying that because somebody got their feelings hurt. Because guess who was extremely offensive? Jesus. Jesus was extremely offensive. Guess who else was extremely offensive? Paul, and about every prophet, and everyone, everyone in Scripture, basically, all the good people were very offensive because they came in with, you know, they came in with a hot take and they dropped truth, okay? That's what they were doing. Jesus straight up looked at Peter to his face and said, get behind me, Satan. That was highly offensive to a Jewish man. Or you know, you also have the, um, you know, oh, you hypocrites, you whitewashed tombs, you venomous vipers, all these ex very, very offensive language. Paul uses the word scubula, which is the Greek word for, you know, um, when fit hits the shan, so to speak, if we can be uh, that bold. Brian, don't cancel me. Don't cancel me. All right. He is the one who edits these, so I have to be careful. He sometimes edits out my my uh, offensive nature. <laughs> but anyway, all right. And here's the thing, guys. The truth is that truth is highly offensive to people, and your liberties sometimes will offend people. But if you're not sinning against God, then there is no transgression by which to repent of. That's the point here. You know, it, again, it's about sinning against, it's about me sinning against God, not about random people getting their fifis hurt. Um, so I always, whenever someone gets super offended, I always want to be like, okay, point, show me, point where, point to me where the truth hurt you. You know, just come on, guys. And then so need, obviously someone's always going to bring up the stumbling block principle. And again, I covered this in episode two of the podcast under individual solar liberty. But since many of you likely haven't gone that far back <laughs> and listened to every single episode, um, I'm going to mention it here. Notice who the stumbling block is for the weaker brother. Notice that the stumbling block is for the weaker brother. So the weaker brother. Who is that? Well, somebody who's a new convert. They're weak in their faith. They're not strong in their faith. And it's amazing how many people who use the offense and they say that you, sh you, know, you should do it. You know, no, it's not a sin, but you shouldn't do it. And they're saying all this. I've been Christians for a long time. And so they're, they're the stronger brother, not the weaker brother, or at least they should be the stronger brother. And they're the ones saying it as in like they're trying to give you like some wisdom on how to live more godly. And the thing is like, no, no, this shouldn't bother you. You should have enough spiritual maturity to not be bothered by this. You know, if you've been a Christian for 10 years and it bothers you that somebody goes to a movie theater, um, watches, uh, watches movies, uh, drinks, has a drink once in a while, or uh, I was talking to a friend of mine today, and he said that when he was growing up, uh, he's, he's in his 50s, that um, a lot of people in the church, you weren't allowed to show PDA, you know, you know, no public displays of affection, even if it was your wife or your husband. You couldn't put your arm around them. You couldn't kiss them on the cheek or whatever while you're sitting in church. They said that you might put lust into people's minds. And it's like, what? You know, when you're thinking about these things, it's like, that's not what a stumbling block means. You know, you're, you're in holy matrimony. Like, if somebody is offended by you living out your marriage, then, well, I mean, come on, people. Anyway. Many of the people who quote this are telling you that you're being a stumbling block to them or some Christian youth at the church, but that's not what this verse means. 
This, in context, is referring to slingshotting someone back to their sinful lifestyle. So he's talking about food offered to idols in the context. So these food was offered to idols before it was sold to the public. And there's this division in the church. Some people are like, well, I want nothing to do with idol worship. You know, we need to stay away from idol worship, so I'm not going to buy any of the food that's offered to idols. Then the other Christians are going, you know what? Who cares? The idol's not even real. It's not even real God. I want steak. You know, that's that's the controversy going on here. But the thing is, when he's talking about the weaker brother, he's talking about a pagan that recently converted Came, and then now he's a Christian. He used to worship in those temples, probably committed like various ritualist, ritual sex and all these other things in that very temple. And so for you to just waltz in there with your guy who just recently converted, go back into his sinful atmosphere because you just want to do something, um, isn't being very loving because you could slingshot him back. You're a stumbling block. You're being a stumbling block. You're putting the stumbling block right in front of him and letting him fall right back into it. So it'd be like me having knowing the fact that, okay, uh, so-and-so struggles with pornography, and uh, I'm going to give him my Wi-Fi password and then leave him alone at my house and just, you know, hopefully well, he, hopefully he doesn't do it. Or, you know, for me to know that someone has uh, an alcohol addiction and for me to pour a glass of alcohol right in front of them. And now before someone goes, well, have you drank beer on the program? Yes, but here's the thing. That's on a screen, and I'm sorry, you can't hide it all over the place from people. Like, you know, it's going to be on shelves. It's going to be on shelves. It's going to be on advertisements. It's going to be on those things. So seeing it is different than actually being right there with it, where you can actually fall into it right then and there. I think there's, I think there's some distinctions we need to make in the 21st century because you're going to see everything everywhere. So it's more like, are you able, is that person able to stumble right back into it right in front of you, right then and there. Um, that's more the point that I think is being driven at. Because also, we know that Paul did eat of the meat. We uh, Later on, we see that happening in the New Testament. We see them drinking wine because he says, I would not eat of, the, eat of the meat or drink of the wine if it's offered to idols. And we see later on, in other contexts, Paul did eat of meat and drink of wine and, all, and things like that. So it's not like he's saying you can't ever do it. He's just saying, hey, mind your audience. You know, Mind those who you're around when you go do something. And, you know, in all honesty, nowadays, it's become almost next to impossible to avoid that entirely because no matter what, in some way, shape, or form, something could be misconstrued. So your best bet is, all right, I'm going to stay obligated to God. That's that's where you should be drawing your line. So the, uh, my other problem is with this, you know, uh, it's not a sin, but you shouldn't do it. And this is my final, final area here I want to talk about, but this is really the philosophical issue. When someone says that you should or should not do something apart from what God's express commands are, they're falling into what's called subjective morality. In other words, opinions of men. Our opinions are subjective, right? We're, we're subjective. God is objective. God is unchanging. So he's the one where objective moral values stem from, and mankind is where subjective opinions stem from. So what's happening is that when people say, but you shouldn't do it, is that they are now kowtowing to the conventional subjective morals of people. And as Christians, we are called to the objective morality of God, not subjective morals of people. And here's the problem. I think one of the biggest issues why we have so much like legalism, for lack of a better term, uh, I think a better term is almost performance-based Christianity, you know, this ultra paranoia of any type of bad perception on you, you know, this whole idea of the appearance of evil. Um, you know, I think the pro reason why we are so now ridiculously sensitive to that is because we have so bottlenecked the liberty of Christ. We have so bottlenecked the liberty of Christ that we have bound ourselves actually to subjective morality instead of God's morality.
So in a weird way, and trying to honor God more, we actually ended up dishonoring God more and only shackling ourselves to man's opinions. And that's not helping anybody. And you can see that now in Christianity. We have, we have like snowflake Christianity everywhere. Christians have meltdowns over the dumbest things instead of what they ought to be focusing on, which are the things of God. And I think that is one of the biggest issues here. It brings us into subjective morality. And then people are, oh, the appearance of evil. We have a whole episode on the appearance of evil as well. In short, the Greek word is talking about appearance as in how people, um, it's not talking about how people perceive you. It's talking about when evil appears. So when evil appears, avoid it. When, you know, it does not dealing with perceptions of men because it actually kind of, the Bible debunks that entirely itself because it constantly is saying, don't worry about men, but worry about obeying God. Like, the Bible is actually pretty clear. You're not supposed supposed to give a crap about the perceptions of men, mostly, right? Like, you're supposed to be only caring about God's perception. So there can be good advice and opinions, right? So that, that's the thing, though. So this this falling into subjective morality is a problem, and that's obviously the opinions of man. Um, okay, not all opinions are bad opinions, okay? Someone could be like, well, my opinion is the reason why I wouldn't is this. And then you could go, well, my reason is this. So, you know, we can have opinions, but we need to make sure that our opinions don't supersede what God says. We can't say something like, well, it's not a sin, but you should not do it because that's a contradiction. And now we're superseding our opinion. We're, we're elevating our opinion. We're superseding God's authority. A better way to say it would be something like, yeah, no, it's totally not a sin. The reason I don't do that or, you know, the, what, gives, what makes me pause when I think about that is this. And so, you know, for that reason, I know it's not a sin, so, you know, have fun. I don't care. Uh, but at the same time, these are the reasons why I don't. Um, and, you know, each person is going to be a little bit different there. That's where the individual liberty is important. You need to understand the fact that we all have our own different spiritual walks, and we're all going to guard our hearts differently as far as that's concerned. So God is the standard of the should or should not, the ought to and the ought not to. He is a source of morality. Thus, if he doesn't say it, you have no business forbidding it from other Christians. And this goes to you churches who your administration has ridiculous rules over your administrative employees, something to the effect of like, well, you know, drinking alcohol is not a sin, but uh, everyone who's on staff, we ask that they not drink. That right there is overstepping God's bounds in the church. Because you are, you are entering conventional wisdom of man and subjective morality territory. I've actually turned down multiple, uh, multiple pastors because that's one of the questions I'll ask. Oh, well, well we just don't think the pastor should. I'm like, see, that's, that's ridiculous because Timothy did, Paul did, Jesus did, all these other people drank wine. And you're telling you, your staff that they can't because why it's a taboo in America? How are we ever going to make it untaboo if we keep following taboo? How about we show people what a real Christian walk looks like, that what real self-control looks like, not what fear looks like. And that's what a lot of this comes down to. It comes down to fear, controlling people via fear. How about we show people what fear doesn't look like? We show people what honest-to-God Christian living is. Goodness gracious, sorry, that's a tangent, but that's just something that drives me crazy. You know, so the Bible and God is a source of morality. So if he doesn't say it, you have no business forbidding it to other Christians. Now, the other person here, I can see trying to run this the other direction. Well, great. Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about porn. That's not in the Bible. So I can do whatever I want. All righty. You got it. You cannot forbid me to do that. Um, sorry, but the word for lust in the Greek is porneia. 
and that is where porn comes from. And Jesus says to look upon a woman with lust is to commit adultery in your heart. So again, there's the principles remain the same. No matter, there's nothing in the 21st century that uh, God does not have a principle in there that he distinctly sta- states that's directly connected to something dealing with sin. So this really means that God tells us what sin is, and we ought to follow that and stop holding to Christians' double standards. Uh, we, we cannot hold other Christians to double standards. That's, that's all there is to it. we got to stop doing that. It makes us look hip, like hypocrites. It makes us look stupid. And it, means, it makes the world constantly go, okay, yeah, but you're not following this consistently. That's what they're saying. And you know what? That's a fair accusation against Christians. So if you want to hear people to stop throwing and slinging mud, saying everyone's contradicting themselves all the time, learn to live consistently with Scripture. Don't say someone should not do something when God never said they shouldn't. So whenever mankind makes its own rules, it starts contradicting itself really quick. So only worry about God's methods. Proverbs 11.23 says this, The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectations of the wicked is wrath. Our expectation should be only that which is good, and that should only be, and that which is good is only that which comes from God. So we follow God's commands, and everything else will follow into place. And then when somebody asks a question because they have a misconception of what Christian, what Christians believe or what the Bible teaches, you can explain it to them, and maybe just maybe they'll realize, oh, you know what, Christianity, Christianity actually makes a lot of sense. It's not nearly as strict or as bad as I thought it was. Man, there really is liberty there. Because here's the thing. No matter what, you are, you are bound to something. You're a slave to something. You're either a slave to the world and sin there and, you know, your own desires, or you can be a slave to objective God. You know, you can be a, to God, the righteous king of all things and creator. I'd rather be a slave to him and show the liberty I have there than to be a slave to whatever, wherever my feelings blow, and hopefully, you know, I'll land at a decent place. I'd rather be a slave to God, you know. No one can serve two masters. So anyway, I I hope that helps explain why this is a pet peeve of mine. The should or should not controversy drives me crazy. When people just, well, you know, I I got into this on Twitter even recently, and which is actually what made me write this down for a future episode. So anyway, guys, I hope this helps you. I hope this may, if you're using that statement, please stop. And if you've heard that statement, now maybe you can know why that statement bothers you if you're having a hard time putting your finger on it. Or if you're like me and you already reached this conclusion, then hopefully you're just partying along with me, shouting, hey man, in your mic. So uh, anyway, thank you guys so much for tuning in to The Church Split. Take care, God bless, and we got more episodes coming to you soon.